Welcome, another exciting night of uh, Thursday Torah learning late at night. So we're discussing uh, the presupposition of Perm. So uh, luckily this year we have Misha Nifnas Adar Marba Besimcha. You guys have drinking already, so that's good. Maybe we have an extra one for Adar Chaim. So the, 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 the point is, when, when Adar comes, we're supposed to try to increase happiness. Uh, if we can increase happiness, by definition, that means that's something within our control. Uh, if you can choose to increase or decrease happiness, and in the month of Av, of course, we decrease happiness, but in the month of Adar, we increase happiness. So this year, we're lucky we have a double, double serving, and uh, if we do it correctly and we prepare, Perm can actually reach its culmination that we're trying to reach. It. There's a certain climax, there's a certain experience, an experiential acceptance of Kimu Vikiblu, an understanding of uh, where the... Hester Punim of God's providence is lying within the reality that we currently live. And uh, that's something that takes a required a sensitivity and a certain state of mind. And there is a prerequisite uh, of no other holiday, really, uh, do we have that the days leading up to it require a certain preparation. Uh, for Pesach, we have to remove the chametz, but, uh, but this is in a positive sense. So, so the first thing you have to become aware of, that happiness is the precondition for Purim, but Torah in general. Uh, without a uh, unless we can accept with a fullness of heart the Torah, the mitzvot, learning, and all of that it comes with it, we can't actually acknowledge and become part of what the Torah wants us to be. Um, we can do actions, certainly we can look like uh, Orthodox Jews and maybe put on black hats, but we won't be able to achieve what it is that the Torah wants us to achieve through the halicha, through the journey that the, that the Torah is trying to take. So the presupposition of Purim is simcha, is happiness. So first and foremost, happiness is not a happenstance. Happiness is not like the English word hap, like mishap, perhaps. Hap is uh, by chance. It's not something that is an external happenstance or external things that are controlling the happiness that we, me and you both have. Uh, it's not a matter of the job. It's not a matter of your career. It's not a matter of your success. It's not a matter of how much you learn or how much, what kind of significance you have outside of your externals in your life. It's an internal perspective. It's a way, it's a choice. It's something that you have to choose. It's not a passive thing. Now, this is something that uh, I think a lot of people miss. The English word happy, they're translated, if you look in Webster's Dictionary, is to be comfortable and complacent with what you have. So you're comfortable. Essentially, you don't want any more pleasure. You maybe had enough of it. So you don't want any more. You know, after five or six beers, you're comfortable. You had enough. You're comfortable. So happiness, which most people perceive, is that once they've achieved it, they can cruise through life. And it's a passive thing. And once they achieve that uh, state of happiness or those externals that require of happiness, then they can relax because now they're happy. And in fact, happiness is an active characteristic trait. It's something that you're either actively doing or you're moving towards depression, which is something that you should take notice of. Now, you should be aware that uh, all of you, at least everyone I can see in the room, is pretty young. Uh, so when you're young, it's really easy to be happy. So normally when you have these kind of speeches about happiness, the first response, especially amongst young people, is, Rabbi, I don't really need it. You know, that's not something I really need to talk about. Okay, which I don't really know if that's true, that uh, you guys don't need to talk about it. But you certainly don't want anyone to think that you need to talk about it. That's certainly the public appeal that most people want to give off. I'm happy and they smile as if to prove it. I'm happy enough, which they really mean they're surviving and they're making it through life as it is. But be aware, 
um, that you all are very young and you're extremely hopefully optimistic, which is a good thing of youth and I don't say you should lose it. But unfortunately, as you get older, that optimism begins to fade. So when you were in grade school, maybe it was miserable and you were so upset and you said, listen, it's only because I'm in grade school. When I get to high school, that's when I have real freedom and that's when my happiness will come. And you were optimistic, got to high school and you found out very quickly that wasn't the case. And then high school was miserable. But of course, when I get to base medrash or college, you know, if you're in base medrash, then it's when I get out of base medrash and I get to college. And when you're in college, you know, at first it's, parties and fun, but uh, it catches up with you. And then all of a sudden you, well, at least when I get into the workforce, you know, I'll have my career, I'll be successful, I'll be in the real world, you know, I'll really, and then you're 25 and you have a career and a job and maybe even a wife and a kid and your optimism begins to fade because there's no more passages that you can hopefully naively believe that happiness is going to come upon you like a happenstance. So the first thing you have to be aware of is that uh, study it now, and I hope you take my advice for it. Unfortunately, you probably won't because at this stage, you're, you're very optimistic. So it's you can always look. You can anticipate the joy that's going to come in the next passage of your life. I promise you, you will be looking back on these years and you say, oh, I wish I could go back to those years. I promise. That's something that I guarantee Everyone, when they have job and children and responsibilities, they will be going back to, can't we just chill on a Thursday night, drink a couple of beers and relax? That would be nice. Okay, so anyway, so but the, so be aware. So it's something that you should, you should work on. You should master now in your young age when you have the time to do it and you have the energy to do it so that later on in life, you, 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 you have the tools that you're capable of actually achieving it. So it's, so it's an active thing. So what is the active thing? So the active thing that we're trying to do is, and I'm going to define for you, what is happiness? Happiness is to recognize and appreciate the pleasures that you possess. So what does it mean to recognize and appreciate? So you're on this table, you have plenty of pleasure. You have chips and cookies and ice cream and soda and probably air conditioning, lights, electricity, you know, comfortable chairs, comfortable clothes, uh, health, eyes. You have uh, great ears. You're hearing everything I say. You have an excessive amount of pleasure that's offered to you currently, right now. Your friends, your camaraderie, the building you live in. You know, no wind is blowing on you. No rain is coming on your head. You have an excessive amount of pleasure currently, right now, that you're currently not experiencing. Why? Because you're not recognizing it. So the first is you have to come to recognize what pleasures do I possess? How many shirts do you own? How many socks do you own? How many watches do you own? What pleasures does it give you? What would life be like with without having socks? The second is appreciating it, coming to terms. What would life be like if I didn't have hands? So, you know, meditation you should do, and after this lecture, perhaps you'll, you'll even do it. For the next hour, think for an hour straight. As you're going through your life, it's a meditation in the back of your mind. Yeah. As you go through the rest of your life for an hour after this, what would life be like without a hand? And you start to think, well, I can't type. I wouldn't be able to hold my cell phone that I'm holding. I wouldn't be able to shake people's hands. I wouldn't be able to play music. I wouldn't be able to use hand gestures as I talk, so on and so forth. And you come to meditate for the one hour. So it's not just a recognition, it's an appreciation. So why do we need it not just a recognition, but appreciation? It's because imagine, you know, God forbid you had no eyes. You know, and all of a sudden we did a reconstructive surgery and we gave you eyes. I imagine you'd be jumping for joy. You know, you're that uh, that man, and he's about to jump off the roof, and he's blind, and all of a sudden his eyesight comes back right then as he's about to jump off. That man is not jumping off the roof. 
not for at least two weeks. He's appreciating the eyes, the colors, the vibrance, the beauty of it. He's appreciating what it is that he sees at that moment. So I say to you, I say all to you, why are you not jumping for joy? You have eyes, 250 million rods, you know, cones, colors, depth, depth perception. Why are you not all jumping for joy? It's a pleasure, right? What would, it, what would you rather, $250,000 or your eyes? What do you guys say? Eyes, right? So it's our worst. If I get, cut you a check right now for $250,000, I imagine you would all be hysterical, you know, I wouldn't say happiness, you'd be turning over the tables, you, you would be like, right, like, uh, like we won, you know, there, there would be an incredible, so why aren't you hysterical, I say you have eyes, you recognize it, and maybe you're focusing on it now, but you're not really appreciating it, you're not really becoming a connoisseur of what that pleasure is, so a connoisseur, and you'll speak to um, the Adidas about beer, they, they know, you know, they know everything that there is to know about beer, and they're connoisseurs about it, so, so if you ever sit next to a person who's a connoisseur of fine wine, so you have a $900 bottle of wine, and you pour a glass of wine, and we're just drinking it to get drunk, so we gulp it back, and he says, murderer, you have to examine the bouquet, the smell, the aroma, the backsplash, see how quick it moves, take it from one side of the mouth to the other, so all the taste buds get engaged, and you have to examine the aftertaste, sip it slow, enjoy it, right? So the only difference is, is his knowledge of the wine and his use of that knowledge in appreciating the wine. It's the exact same pleasure in the cup of wine, but if you recognize that a, it's an expensive cup of wine and you know how to appreciate an expensive <laughs> cup of wine, it's a totally different experience. So first and foremost is we have to come to recognize the pleasures we possess. So I'm going to give you practical things because something you have to be aware of that mental states, mindsets, how we approach things is an internal change. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Everybody has an immense amount of pleasure in their life, but they choose to recognize and appreciate that which they lack. Everybody has and everybody has has not. And you can either choose to focus and appreciate what you have or you can choose and appreciate, focus what you lack. So we all have an immense amount, but we choose to focus on what we lack. And that's a mindset. And we learned that when we were very young, young children, if you ever see them playing, uh, like, like bouncing balls against the wall, they're having an enjoyable time. It's fantastic. Life itself is very pleasurable. But we taught ourselves to focus on what we lack. We started to cry, and then our parents gave us what we wanted. So we focused on what we lack, and that's basically how we went through our juvenile years. In grade school, we uh, complained and we maybe got more and we kept doing that and realized, hey, if we focus and complain and voice our opinion about what we lack, then we get it. So that's the kind of mindset we've generally produced. So we have to change that. Now, now be aware, any habit is extremely difficult to change. Uh, the only way to consistently change habits is consistency and repetition. So you have to be consistent and re repetitive with, with what I'm about to give you. So, so we're going to have to give certain mental exercises in order to try to change mental eternal mindsets that we already currently have back to where they should be. Now we, remember, this is not a passive thing. If you stop feeding it, you stop cultivating it, you go straight back to where you came. Uh, just be aware in anything, when, when you work on mitos in general, uh, you have to be constantly engaged in those mitos or you very quickly drift back. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever done tshuva before, but if you've ever been through the tshuva process, which I would hope one Yom Kippur or two, maybe, you know, guys are in yeshiva, that you would try it once or twice, you know, not just fast on Yom Kippur, but you actually try to do tshuva one year. Uh, but uh, it, it would be, you would realize that uh, the reason the next year, all of a sudden you did tshuva, you were working on it, you're doing great for three months, and then you went back to your normal life. 
And if you do a cheshbon and nefesh again, you'll find, hey, wait, those habits that I conquered, that I mastered, that I terraformed, I created them into being positive things in my life. They went straight back to my old habits. So it's true. It's an active thing. So is happiness. It's an active thing. So the first thing that you should do is take recognition. You should, uh, I hope, and I hope you'd all do it. Uh, I, I think you would probably be aware that you're probably doing it in davening, if you would know what you were saying when you were davening. But you're taking a recognition in the beginning. You're taking a recognition of all the different things you possess. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in davening? Anybody know? The brachos, right, very, right, very good. You're going through a list. You're basically a check. It's a checklist. You know, all the initial brachos are just a checklist of basically the basic givens that everybody has in their life that are an immensely pleasurable. Clothing, eyes, intelligence, understanding, so on and so forth. And you go through the list, and hopefully you take the list seriously, and you start to focus on it. So in your own life, you should do this. You should, every day, at the same time, every day, maybe at chakras, you're doing it anyway, you might as well write down four pleasures that you've had that day. And there's four categories of pleasure. Pleasure number one is physical pleasure. So you write down you had a beer last night. It's a physical pleasure. feels good. tastes good. Fine. Then you write down an emotional pleasure. Some pleasure that you get from friendship, from love, from camaraderie, from intimacies. Different pleasures that you get from relationships. So you'll say, my mother is kind. And you'll say why she's kind. She's kind because she's always caring about others more than she cares about her own necessities. If that's good or bad. But that's what you're, that's what you're right. An emotional pleasure. Right? Emotional pleasures, you should know, are very heavy. And for most of us, those are the heaviest pleasures that we currently possess. The third is accomplishments. You know how to read. Maybe you know how to touch a Gemara. Maybe you know how to speak Hebrew. Maybe you're good at communicating. Those are accomplishments. The third is, the third is, sorry, the fourth is, the fourth is intellectual pleasures. Intellectual pleasures come at a, at a they have a certain uh, value to them. You know, if you didn't know that you weren't supposed to steal when you were younger, probably none of you would be here. You'd be in jail. Uh, that intellectual pleasure shaped your life. Uh, you know, uh, don't call your friends names. So they taught you that really young. Or share your toys. They taught you that when you were young. That's how you developed early on friendships. Luckily, those ones stuck. So hopefully you guys have some friends. So if you if you develop intellectual pleasures and you know and you know the intellectual pleasures and their worth, then they have an effect on you, and you appreciate them. You ought to appreciate them. Happiness is not a happening; it's a choice that can change your entire life, especially if you're a little bit unhappy. It can change your life. It's an inner choice that you have to constantly be making. Am I focusing on what I have or am I focusing on what I lack? So again, the definition of happiness is to recognize and appreciate the pleasures that you possess. We have to focus on them. We have to be actively engaged in focusing on the white, beautiful flowers on the table, this the nice air in the room. Ah, do you ever, have you ever slept in uh, Miami without air conditioning? Ever tried it? You know, uh, when I was in Israel, the first time that I went to Israel, so I was in Israel and the dormitories, they don't have air conditioning there. I'm a, you know, American boy coming to Israel, sleeping on a place with no air conditioning. You wake up in pools of sweat. I mean, it's, I couldn't sleep for the first two weeks. I'm just rolling around. It's, it's hot. I just, I, I came back to America. Every time I would walk into a room, ah, cool air, air conditioning. This is incredible. You know, and it's unfortunately, you know, the person who has no shoes, he doesn't appreciate it until he meets the man who has no feet. That shouldn't have to be that you have to meet somebody who lacks what it is that you have in order for you to appreciate it. We should learn to appreciate that which we possess. The second is, and that leads me to it, is we have entitlement issues. 
particularly us Western people, Americans, we have real entitlement issues. We think everything is coming to us. So we uh, kind of take everything for granted. And then because of that, for two reasons, one, we don't recognize our pleasures. And two, we certainly don't appreciate them. Eyes. Everybody has eyes. So let me, let me just give you a little story just to try to illustrate that. So you have uh, two women in a convalescent home. Give you two stories. Two women in a convalescent home. Woman in bed A and woman in bed B. And woman in bed A says, oh, my unfortunate lot. I've only two children. I was only able to have two children. And my daughter, Susie, she comes once a week, once a week, you know, at most once a week. And what does she bring me? An apple, a puzzle. I birthed her for nine months and she brings me an apple, a puzzle. That's what she brings me. And my, my son, he's a big doctor. He can't even come every week. Oh, he calls. Yeah, sure, he calls. I raised you for 19 years and you can only call me once a week? And then the woman in bed, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so unfortunate. I was blessed with two incredible children, Susie. She comes every week. Not a week goes by, she doesn't come. And she always brings me something, something small, an apple, an orange. Oh, it's so sweet. And my son, he's a big doctor. He can't come every week. But not a week goes by, he doesn't call. He always calls, right? The exact same situation. It's an internal perspective. One is focusing on what he has. One is focusing on what they lack. You have a man in, the, in Harlem, you know, Harlem, and he lives in a rickety house and the air conditioner is making noise. It works, but it's making noise and the heater. Some days it works and some days it doesn't. And he has two panes missing in his glass and the bricks are falling out and he is bemoaning his unfortunate lot. The man is keeping him down and he is depressed and miserable. You take that exact same man, you put him in the Congo, you know, and he has indoor plumbing. And that same rickety air conditioner and the two panes. And nobody else has that. Everybody else has to go to the outhouse and doesn't have electricity. And everyone is coming and kowtowing to him. Oh, this wealthy man. And he is happy beyond belief. Why? Because he is doing something called he's comparing his lot to others. So in Hebrew, we, we call it Sameach Bechalko. You have to learn to appreciate your lot. Who it is that you are. You have to come to terms. Be happy with your own skin. You are whatever you are, and that's what you're supposed to be, nothing else. There's no need for you to examine someone else's lot. There's no need for you to measure other people's lot. There's no need for you to even measure your own lot. Just recognize and appreciate what your lot is. So we have to come to terms, but we have entitlement issues, and these entitlement issues make it very difficult for us to appreciate anything in life. Everybody has eyes. Everybody has ears. Everybody has hands. What more can I have? So we don't appreciate all of those possessions that we even may be cognizantly aware of. Everybody has health. That's what life gives. So another thing that you do, and hopefully, I would hope you do it, but I won't bet on it, that every morning you wake up in the morning, you say, life is good. It's a gift. Thank you. And, and you know, I know you, you maybe say it, maybe, I don't know, maybe you say it in Hebrew, but if you do say it, you should think about those words that you're saying every day, every morning in Hebrew. And you should actually say genuinely, life is a gift. It's good. It totally changes your aspect of your life. And you say it over and over and over again until you mean it seriously. So you say it once and you say it pejoratively. Life is good. You know, as you're washing your hand, you're walking over. You know, Are you saying, oh, oh, did you say hello to me? No, no, I was mumbling Modani. Sorry, I wasn't saying hello to you. No, no. Oh, oh, oh he hello. Oh, sorry. You know. The, the, you say it and hopefully you repeat it until you, until you mean it. So you keep saying it. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. Eh, about 
150 times after you say it 150 times, it only takes 100, 150 seconds, right? Life is a gift. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. You actually get it. You appreciate it. Life is a gift. Your hands are a gift. Your eyes are a gift. You didn't do anything for them. You didn't do anything for your feet. You didn't do anything for your eyes. You didn't do anything for your ears. You didn't do anything for the colors. You didn't do anything for most of your friendships. You didn't do anything for your parents. You didn't do anything for any of the pleasures you possess. Most of the things that currently on this table, what have we done for? It's all a gift. We have to remove the entitlement from our life. The entitlement makes us have an inability of appreciating pleasures we possess. Okay. So once we come to terms with this and we try to deal with these kinds of issues, the last and the, the, the thing that holds us back really from a lot of happiness is problems in our life. We don't, we don't really know how to deal with these episodes, these things that we call problems in our life. And be aware. Uh, so the, in, in the Gemara it says that uh, we don't test. You don't test people, you know, the, the clay maker when he's making his pots. He doesn't test the, the weak clay pots. Because those ones might break when he tests it. You know, you hit it in order to make sure it doesn't break. He tests the strong ones. So is it with, with man. He doesn't test the weak ones amongst us. He tests the strong ones, the ones he knows who can take it. There are no such thing as problems. If we believe in an almighty, and particularly with Purim, and when we're going to deal with Hester Punim, and we're going to have some time to deal with it, because luckily we have a a double a double other here. So as we get a little closer, hopefully we'll talk about actual Purim engaged. But, uh, but the prerequisite of what we're really trying to deal with is happiness. Purim cannot open itself up to, and you should be aware that, of course, all the mitzvahs of Purim are supposed to induce happiness. We give shalach manos, which is supposed to induce friendship and relationships, achdos and all that. And then we have drinking, which is obviously supposed to induce pleasure, and then we're supposed to have a feast with meat and wine, which, of course, so all the mitzvahs of the day, and, of course, charity, which are, okay, it's different kind of pleasure. But all the, ultimately, all of the days and all of the, all of the mitzvahs of the day are supposed to increase the amount of pleasure that we have in our lives. And it's a certain focus that we're trying to get so that we can actually get kimu v'kiblu. We're going to discuss Purim at a different time. But what I, what I really wanted to get at is um, we have to come to terms. And we have to be aware that no one is making this choice for us. Uh, you know, my daughter, I tell her all the time. I wish I would know the lesson, but I tell her all the time. I say, nobody's making you happy. She says, Ezra's making me mad. Or mommy, daddy, you're making me mad. I say, I'm not making you mad. Nobody can make you mad. Mad is an internal paradigm of how you're viewing reality. Right? I don't tell her that, right? But it's, it's, I say, nobody can make you mad. That's how you're viewing these stimulites coming into you. You could put it in a certain context and spin it, and it could be happy beyond belief. I, I don't know if you've ever done this before with madness. You know, have you ever knocked on the door and it was locked in your house or you're going to a friend's house and nobody's answering the door? And you're knocking again, and you're really starting to get very angry about it, you know? And you think he's locking you out, and you're knocking, and you're, and you're, you're really, this is not funny, guys, and you're knocking, and you're really getting very angry. And then he walks up right behind you, he says, oh, oh, I was out here the whole time. You say, oh, and all of a sudden the anger is gone. Why? Because you understood the context differently. Nobody's trying to get you. Nobody's trying to. This wasn't a slight at your ego. And this wasn't an embarrassment that your friends were trying to do to you. Immediately the context changed and the anger goes. Uh, so is it with most internal mindsets. It's an internal context and a mindset in which we phrase and frame our life in. Happiness is no different. It's an eternal mindset in which we choose to focus and appreciate the pleasures that we possess. So I, I hope that you, you do a little bit of the lessons that I said. List out all the pleasures you possess. And I promise you, it'll be over a thousand. I mean, we, you could do a thousand just in this room. There's an incredible amount of pleasure that we all possess, but we're not focusing on it. We're looking past it. We're trying to focus on what we lack. Uh, any questions?
No, so far? Okay. So, so once we get this list and once we amass this list, and I, and I hope you really do amass this list, you should put it into priority. You should put it into uh, what is the number one pleasure on the list and what is the least pleasurable on the list. And it gives you a little proportionality, gives you a little maturity. You know, if you drop your phone and you break the screen, you're very upset. But if you look to your list and you see that that was number 998th on a list of 15,000, okay, well, it puts in a little perspective. Okay, well, it's only 990. I have hands and eyes and ears and shirt. And if you ever find yourself running into these uh, depressing states, you can run through the list and you start reading it down and you start to recognize and appreciate again your pleasures. Uh, chew your food slowly. I, I know... Probably you never realize this, but uh, anytime that you have any hana in Judaism, it's interesting. You say a bracha before any time you have any hana in Judaism. You know that? It's called a brachas hana, right? I mean, guys say brachas on food, right? So that, that's a brachas hana. So isn't that weird that we say brachas before we eat food? Is it weird? Well, it's not just food. It's any hana, right? Because you have to chew your food slowly. You have to concentrate, recognize. He gave it to you for your pleasure. You know, the Gemara Numa. The Gemara in Yishami um, says that uh, any fruit that comes into your way that you don't eat, you're going to have to pay judgment for on the day of judgment. That means he wants you to engage and enjoy the pleasure of that food. Of course, so he gives you a bracha. Stop, slow down, eat slowly, eat it. Yeah? I'm pretty sure it, it, it's in the Yishami. It's in the Yishalmi, Brachos, uh, but, uh, or it could be Peya, but it's in the Yishalmi. I can find it for you if, if, you, if you want the source. I can send it to you. So the, uh, but it, it's, a, it's a Yishalmi Gemara. It happens to be interesting just on a side. The Ramam doesn't quote it in Hilchos uh, Deos, which, okay, you would have thought that he would have quoted it when he was going through in Hilchos Deos, or at least the Shemona Prakim, uh, when he's going through what, uh, what it means to do something for the Shema and those kind of things, but he doesn't quote it, eh? which is... Something interesting. Maybe he understands the Gemara differently. But, but, but the fact is that uh, we say and we do say brachos in order to introduce mitzvah sasana is because you have to slow down. You have to put yourself in a certain mindset in order to eat it, in order to appreciate the food you're eating anyway. So if you're going to engage in a chip or soda, food, say the bracha, but use the bracha as a way of increasing pleasure in life, not just some sort of a religious rote that we just shoot off our mouth and slow down. Say it correctly. Uh, every morning we say those brachos anyway. Allow them to be a Pesach, to open ourselves to recognize and to focus on those things that we possess. Uh, good. Okay. That, that is, that's basically what I prepared. Um, hopefully, I, I would hope, I, I tried to make it kind of pretty practical so that it would actually be done. Uh, we spoke about this last time. It just, uh, just you know, I generally have a uh, universal... Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say I have. I think the Torah has that uh, you don't teach Torah to anybody that you think is not going to be kind the Torah that you're teaching them. That's something that you should know. Like uh, if a student, uh, yeshiva guy or, or college guy comes and asks me about uh, gilaraya, sexual issues, those kind of things, I generally don't answer those questions. Why? Because uh, I don't think they're yet at the level yet that they're actually capable of makayim those kind of concepts. So then, of course, why would I discuss theoretical concepts with them that they're not capable of digesting? Because any Torah that you don't makayim turns into poison and it rots your insides and you become the worst kind of people. You're Manuvalabur Shustra Torah, which is the worst kind of people. So I, 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 this particular lecture, I think, is open to everybody and open, hope everybody is not just going to learn this Torah, but they're actually going to try to makayim the Torah. They're actually going to try to 
have a simcha salev. Now, just be aware, tachazir shavarach of simcha mitzvayvav is not a joke. It's quite serious. Uh, if you do all the mitzvahs, but you don't find the happiness and the fulfillment and the enjoyment in doing of those mitzvahs, in what pleasures they're trying to get you, in what kind of life they're trying to offer you, in what kind of person they're trying to make you into, uh, you can read Devarim, and I'm sure most of you have read that. Uh, it's it's pretty intense. It, you're going to eat your own children alive, either figuratively or literally. So, But uh, just so you know in your own life, if you want to get a measuring stick, because it's very hard to be uh, honest with yourself in this particular thing, because um, you ask any American, you say, what is he living for? You know what he says? Happiness. It's incredible. You know, I should have played this trick on you guys before, but uh, I ask you, I say, hey, what are you living for? And then I tell you happiness. And you say, how does the rabbi know what I was going to say? Every American says happiness. You're a programmed robot. Me too. We put it in our mother's milk. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what they told us to answer. So that's what we say. They told us, pursue happiness. That's the purpose of life. And that's exactly what every American says. Isn't that funny? It's not funny. We've been programmed. We're, we're programmed machines. We weren't even aware of it. You ask a Russian person, he doesn't give that answer. Can you believe that? Yeah, because in Russia, that's not the Bill of Rights. They don't say the goal of life is happiness. But in America, they say the goal of life is happiness. And that's what we're good Americans. So that's what we all say. You say, what are you ultimately living for? I just want to be happy. If money means that, then the money means that. If success means that, if Torah means that, that's going to get me happy, then that's what I need. I need Torah. But ultimately, that's what most people, they think that they're living for. They think they're living for happiness. But I just uh, I just want to illustrate just very quickly. Uh, I don't think any of you are living for happiness. You say, what? Not living for happiness? I say, I can prove it to you right now. Okay, so five minutes, I'll, I'll just prove it to you right now. That None of you are living for happiness. Okay, you know what a frontal cortex is? Yeah, so a frontal lobotomy... Frontal lobotomy is where I cut the nerve going from your frontal cortex to the rest of your brain. So your frontal cortex of your brain is like where uh, intelligence, uh, consciousness, awareness, um, stringing together of memories like personality and things, all of that happens in your frontal cortex. If I give you a frontal lobotomy, which we could do right now, uh, could you take that bottle? Yeah, take the bottle and knock him over the head really hard right here. Go, go ahead. Wait one second. Wait, 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 wait. Let's give him the option first. Wait, let's give him the option. Have you ever seen an idiot eat ice cream? <laughs> he's having a ball he's spilling all over himself he's making a fool of him. he doesn't care he's an idiot have you ever seen an idiot depressed no they don't get depressed you ever seen a depressed cow no they don't get depressed you can be happy for the rest of your life you jackie i'm talking to you you can be happy for the rest of your life you take it well, now be aware we can do it right now to you You'll never have a depressed day the rest of your life. But you won't have your intelligence, your understanding, your awareness, your consciousness. Uh, what do you say, Jackie? Should we do it? We, this, is not a, this is not a theoretical case. We can do it right now. We can make you happy for the rest of your life. You'll just be an idiot the rest of your life. So what do you say? The pains of intelligence, understanding. What do you say? Which do you choose? We can do it right now. We don't have to play games. You say intelligent, right? I, I would hope, you know. But okay, sometimes people will say say happiness. But the, the ideas of the exercise is we're trying to weigh. If you were given the choice, and you are all given the choice, you could all go get a frontal lobotomy. You could actually go and do it. You could go and sign yourself in for elective surgery, and you could go and do it. You could be a happy idiot for the rest of your lives. But you say, you know what? My intelligence, my understanding, my perception, those are more important to me. And of course, they, they have their scar, weigh the ownership against the scar. And happiness, uh, I've never seen a depressed cow. I've never seen a cow kill themselves. So there's certain... Uh, Things that come across with intelligence and with understanding and with for a search for meaning. We're not just uh, happy cows. We need a meaning and purpose in life. And those come at a cost. 
sometimes they uh, they they affect us in in ways that we maybe wouldn't want them to affect us. So, but be aware that you're if you are and you would make the choice that you would want intelligence, understanding, consciousness more than happiness then you should live your life in suit. You should go after and search after those things that are going to get you wisdom, intelligence, understanding, consciousness, more so than those things that are going to get you happiness. Now, but of course, in Judaism, you need both. You have to be happy and wise, and you have to find the happiness within wisdom. It's not enough to be a miserable Lamdan. And of course, that's what the Pasuk in Deuteronomy is telling you, right? It's not enough. Uh, it's not just enough to learn, and it's not just enough to do mitzvahs. You have to find the happiness and the enjoyment in them. But if you use the tool, and you come to recognize, and you come to anticipate, and you focus and appreciate what the mitzvahs are, and what they can actually do for you, and what you can actually become through them, it's very easy to be happy within mitzvahs. Uh, if you do it with a little bit, a, a little bit of uh, recognition and, and appreciation.